Hello and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast with the science and the screaming to determine what is the single greatest movie of any given year. My name is Kate and I'll be your host tonight. We're talking 1975 this season. Let me introduce you to our guests today. We, of course, have our favorites, Ryan, Mike, and Greg. Mm, yeah, the favorites. That's how much you know how much you guys are favorites. You're all the same. That's fair. <laughs> we sound the same. Our views are the same. We look the same. Exactly. <laughs> and of course, today we were joined by the wonderful Van. How are you doing, Van? I'm doing well. Hello, hello. It's good to be back. Yes, so happy to have you back. Um, so this movie, Nashville. Can you believe it? Long, <laughs> great. Those are my major two feelings. Uh, Mike, what's your? What are your major Lo- opinions uh, wh- on this piece? The only time Ryan compliments me, and I don't know if it is supposed to be, but I always take it as one is. He says, "Altman, that's a Mike guy," and I like meandering. <laughs> I like going in and out of things. I don't know how to tell stories, but in, like the best way possible. So yeah, I fucking loved this movie. <laughs> Do you think? Do you think he just means your abusive personality? Oh, though? it might be that. That I tell everybody to get ready, but they might not be to set for five hours. Also, I didn't say alt-man. I said alt-right. I said, you seem like oh, you're alt Oh, you're like, you're an alt-man. Yeah. I was like, yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Greg? How are you feeling? I, you know, uh, usually we have at least some history with a movie. I was dimly aware that there was a movie called Nashville, and I had no idea really what it was about or what was going on before I started watching it. And that's a cleaner slate than we have with a lot of movies on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a very complicated movie, so hopefully I won't be too far behind everybody else. Although I'm guessing, Ryan, have you even seen this movie? Yes. But ahead of time? What a suck Many up. times, Greg. Come on now. Shut suck up, man. You suck. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen it many times, but have you liked it? Uh, no. Not the, fr- no. not the first time. Uh, I was very. Oh um, well, I liked it. I, Kate, I liked it the first time I saw it. Okay, Greg. Okay, there's no. This is yeah. this is not a scored show, Greg. So <laughs> calm your ass down. Okay, according uh, to uh, maybe not officially, but Greg <laughs> noted. That's all I'll say. Yes. Kate, could you Ryan, please stop in... winking at Greg? <laughs> uh, I love to wink over radio. Um, Ryan, <laughs> so so how are you feeling about it now? I I no. This is one of the best movies of all time. Um, anybody who yeah. says otherwise is a child uh but i will say kate that 1975 has fucking started like we're dropping yeah. we're dropping our joe sh- our jaw show tomorrow and we're prepping our holy grail show um mm-hmm. and those mm-hmm. are like 75 all-timers but this is this is fucking it right like the yeah. season has started mm-hmm. fully yeah this definitely encapsulates a moment um very, very, every way, and, and it feels like the text itself is very self-aware of that. Uh, Van, is this your first time watching this? Film? It was my first time, and I'm going to have to agree with sort of how Ryan's first time went. I did not enjoy this film whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I do not yeah. like films that are over 90 minutes, and I do not like country music. <laughs> Agreed. So this is sort of the two worst Real. possible scenarios in one movie, um, but I sat through it, and I did, in fact, complete the movie. There Can we all agree like, she's yes. right about the ninety-minute yeah. thing? Like that is clearly yeah. yes, I am objectively yeah. right about that. Yeah. I know that That's for a fact. fact. About film, there could uh, be a bad edition that like cuts all the country music out, and then it would be ninety minutes long. 
Oh, I, you know what? Honestly, yeah. I would watch that. Honestly, like, my biggest issue was just all the different cutaways, and the songs lasted for mm-hmm. so long. And it was just like, yeah. I get the point. Let's move on. Let's find the next point of action. Let's find and the then another one would start right after that. Like, one song would go on forever, and yes. then another one just would like start. Just like a concert, where you're like, oh, yeah, I actually didn't miss Well, this. apparently, it was, a, it was a specific, like, I think there is a legitimate hour of musical numbers throughout yeah. that entire film. Oh, yeah. Um. So, so, yeah, you're right. Cut those. We're already down to an hour and 40 minutes still still too long um but it's a bearable. Very, very long movie. but bearable for sure but bearable yeah yeah i i was surprised i'd seen this movie once before when i was you know in a film class i i know i fell asleep in the middle of it <laughs> um uh just from the fact that i did it again um but then went back and rewatched it uh this morning and you know, I I get it now in a way that I didn't before. Um, I and, and it's I one you want to be awake for. <laughs> it's one you want to be awake for, but I do I do understand that it's difficult to do such. Van, I I I'm not so far removed from your camp. Uh, so let's take a quick break, and when we're back. We'll launch in. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to pop filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie, everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year, where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show, that's Movie of the Year, and that's YourPopFilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! Today, we're talking Robert Altman's 1975 classic satirical musical ensemble comedy drama film, Nashville. Seen by many as the director's magnum opus, Nashville's scope is overwhelming. With 24 main characters and hours worth of musical numbers and, the, and multiple intersecting storylines... The cast, which includes everyone from David Arkin to Keith Carradine, Geraldine Chaplin, Shelley Duvall, Jeff Goldblum shows up, Lily Tomlin at a certain point. Um, these people all combine to explore the story of America as it approaches its bicentennial uh, through the through the wonderful world of country music. Taste Buds, I ask you this. How does Altman's signature style of overlapping dialogue and non-traditional plotting inform this specific movie? Mike, how do you feel about this question? Hopefully good. I think it's a good question. (laughs) It's well written. (laughs) Well written. Well thought out. Uh, Yeah, I I think with this, it shows the the chaos of any sort of scene. I think it's so hard when movies are about a specific scene. It's like, well, I guess that scene was mostly about these three people because you just like dig into this band. And I do feel like he tried to capture every tier you can be involved in the Nashville music scene. And in here, when it was like one of the most popular... At least in the world of the movie. I don't know in the real world, but the most popular thing. So it's so intertwined with politics. So everybody, this is the hub of everything popular culture. And if you're a waitress or if you're Hal, Double H, Double H, the Elvis wannabe Haven. guy. 
Haven, Haven, yeah, Haven, uh, Haven, Hamilton? Haven, Hamilton. I think is exactly right, Greg. H Greg, squared, second imaginary point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, that that it's everybody's gonna bounce off of each other like a pinball. Like that, there's there's no way to escape. And even if you're at the top, you're gonna have to hobnob with the people at the bottom. Like it's a very like, uh, what's the word? Where Altman-esque. water goes back and forth. It's Altman-esque uh, yeah. in a way. And I, I don't know what that word means, but I think I'm starting or to as based Ma- on this as movie. Ryan would say, Mike-esque. Or Mike-esque, yeah. Thank you. Mike-ish, more I think so. <laughs> on this podcast, when we all talk at the same time, is that just us being Altman-esque? Yes, we're doing yes. it. Not, exactly. <laughs> not just rude to our guests, but it's an illusion. Well, t- to many, to many, Altman simply being rude to his viewers. How how very rude of you to speak over yourself. Oh, like I would how agree I entirely. I felt just <laughs> really excluded from this scene. I had no idea who to focus on, what to focus on, like where I should be looking. I bits and pieces of conversation were coming and going, but like I enjoy a little. Doesn't bit that feel like structure. a point though? I I get it. I get it. It feels like a, kind of like a slice of life film where you just get a snapshot of how everything would actually be but it is a movie you need to think of the audience and that's just sort of where i'm coming from on that okay so i think that there's this battle going on and this battle's been going on like every era in the history of movies but like it's are the point of movies to like be fantastic and show us new worlds or are they supposed to be like real and gritty and so Mm -hmm. we always have these people coming out with you know realism and essentially trying to like make it as close to documentary as possible. And what I love about Altman is that he's not picking a side. He is, he is making these conversations work like they would in real life, like they might in a lot of documentary scenes that aren't just talking heads, but no one would confuse this for a documentary. So what he's doing is that he's picking and choosing from all of the schools how he's going to make his movie. And that is honestly how you get a term. Like That's how you get a term esque you know like right. mm-hmm. when you do mm-hmm. that you create your own thing and that's how you get an esque at the end of your name which i think is the biggest compliment you can get that or you go to law school yeah you can be an esque <laughs> that was a good one it took a second <laughs> <laughs> no great point though ryan um i but, mean greg did you did this did this resonate with you the way that they were that altman was playing with perspective and playing with focus it's it did specifically as it's situated in 1975 because as we've seen in so many of the 1975 movies there's almost like a, a peanut gallery effect of you know mobs of people uh standing around observing something and commenting on it constantly and so this movie kind of takes that mob and turns it into an actual cast of characters um and it's sort of lack of true perspective and it's confusing overlappedness i think really does mirror 19 like so many of the other messages in the movies of 1975 like jaws's loss of authority and mm-hmm. inability to you know uh trust the people who are meant to protect us or dog days after afternoons um having outsiders so like outside the fold that they have no recourse but to some sort of violent manifestation and that's the only time that society pays attention to them so mm-hmm. i think it does a really good job of mirroring Damn, it, on, mirroring all that on top of it being his trademark or whatever yeah yeah absolutely there's something you know um, there's something like like so domineering about the perspective of most films like they for you know you you watch scenes that are like tightly cut and um your perspective is forced onto mm-hmm. you know certain faces and certain characters and you are not left to choose any 
path through the the movie as it's presented. This movie allows you to sort of choose your own person adventure. to focus on. Yeah, it's like a choose your own adventure movie, and I appreciate that. It, it, yeah. Without being bad like that Black Mirror yeah. one. Uh, yes. <laughs> it, it, does, it reminds me of a play in that way, because you... And not all plays, some plays are, you know, very tight and everybody talks at their own pace. But you, there's no camera saying, look here now. So you're always just paying attention to whatever you feel like. And this kind of does that. And there's so many ways to take in the movie. You can either try to watch all of it at once, which will drive you slightly mad. And it's just this quilted pastiche and vibe of Nashville. Uh, mm-hmm. Or you can watch it over and over and over again. And every time be like, this watch, Opal's my main character. Next time, Lily Tomlin's <laughs> my main character. And you kind of just try mm-hmm. to focus out anything that, that's not them. And it, it yeah. does create a different viewing pr- way each time then. Yeah. What helped me too on this last watch is I had all 24 of my Nashville action figures in front of me. And I would move <laughs> them along with the action of the movie. <laughs> it sounds like something you would do. You have all those weird little figurines in your house. <laughs> Again, these are private things, Kate, that we just keep... <laughs> Um, That's they're totally yeah. normal figurines, Kate, that any 40-year-old man should have 20 or more of. The other big Altman thing is that despite being, as Greg mentioned before, a renowned dickbag, um, I think that he is like at the top of the game as far as human empathy goes. And if he's not empathetic, then he his camera is. Or there's something about him that is just so invested in these people that you don't... You don't feel him getting off on torturing his characters or making fun of them. Like he's right there. And that's why he's the only person who could do 24 characters because uh, when we meet them, they're so important to us, you know, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that's, that's impossible to do. F9 can't do it. Oh shit. You'll (laughs) see. Fast 10 colon Nashville two. Let's bring them together. (laughs) Colon Nashville two colon scams adventure. Um, my favorite thing about what we've all been talking about, because I think it really resonates with me, Ryan, what you said, because the film theory, it feels like the absolute like foundational split is like the, the, the difference between spectacle and realism being like the first conversation that's had, you know, whether it's like Millier's trip to the moon or, or Lumiere, like, you know, watch people come out of a factory. Uh, these very two distinct ways of approaching making movies. Is it top two movies of all time? Top two movies of all time. My favorite two movies. (laughs) When the people start coming out of the factory though, I got to clear out because it feels like they're going to come right out out of the screen (laughs) and start trying to walk over me. I get very claustrophobic. Yeah. Um, But you know, that the thing that I think is makes this movie so distinct or, or, Honestly, I think dance isn't magical is the fact that he makes realism almost surreal. Like it feels it, it becomes its own like otherworldly perspective by removing the classic perspective. It feels so because um, c- it does feel like it's giving you the right to focus on that, which you'd like to focus on. Um, but simultaneously, it, it kind of it's so distorted. It's almost like being in a fun mirror, like a, a hall of mirrors. Um, Cause we're, I'm so not used to watching movies like that. Uh, and so it, it's this weird balance of like, this feels more real in the way that it's not forcing my attention into one perspective, but simultaneously I feel like I'm in the middle. It's, it's almost carnivalesque um, having all of this going. You know, I'm no longer, my brain's not trained to look at 24 stories and be able to like, 
absorb them all and not freak out. So I, I completely understand, <laughs> Van, where you're coming <laughs> from with all of this. Um, do you think that it really is the the lack of perspective or was there a storyline maybe that really caught your eye? Oh, for sure. I mean, the storyline of uh, the poor guy and his wife in the hospital, that was just, um, Mm -hmm. and I know it ended like halfway through the movie or something like that, but that was a particular storyline. That guy I paid attention to every time he came on screen. But no, now Mm -hmm. I see that I was sort of looking at like the screen as it being unfocused and unfocused, meaning like a bad direction or a director without like strong direct, like a strong like sense of direction on the actual um, film. But that's obviously untrue because it's very like it's very very stylized the way that he's doing like this open plan no focus on all of the characters at once and i i feel like if i were to watch it again i would understand it more it, I mean, and that it's totally one of those movies like the first time i watched it i just started it over again because i was like <laughs> i liked that but i felt like i missed a bunch of it and on the second viewing when you know who everyone is and you know what they're up to it really does I think start to make a little bit more sense. And the movie itself engages with this attention idea. If you think about that scene where at the party, the BBC reporter is talking to um, Hamilton's son, uh, Bud Hamilton, Mm -hmm. and he's singing her this song about how much he really loves her, but she notices Elliot Gould, who (laughs) is looking like amazing, by the way. Absolutely. Just like, looks like such a snack. And she like, he's singing her this sweet song. And she's like, is that Elliot Gould? And gets up and just fucking tears ass away. So that sort of like strained attention, I think, is engaged with like primarily by the text. The other and thing, too, with a rewatch is you will see like the, the amount of control that he exhibits on this film. And I'm not saying like on the set or whatever, but like the control of his vision and what he was able to do. The fucking the, like the masterful foreshadowing and telegraphing that the first yeah, everything, every every single thing is feeding into you know what the future of the movie is and it's jaw dropping yeah absolutely so there's a lot more to talk about we've only talked for about this movie for 10 minutes and there's another two and a half hours to go let's get to a country uh, song <laughs> so let's get to a country song okay let's take a quick break and when we come back uh we'll continue Hola, Felterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, you could pay for ryan to draw you a picture Uh, i can write you a poem you can get the shirts off our very own backs all of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash your pop filter while you're on the internet you should check out shady monk he does all the tunes you've been listening to he's on bandcamp he's on spotify uh soundcloud wherever kids get their music these days that i'm too old to know shady monk lives there uh you can probably follow him on twitter and instagram as well that's shady monk wherever you get music Check him out. A very fancy film critic on Wikipedia suggests <laughs> that Nashville is preoccupied with a, quote, populist culture driving itself mad with celebrity and presents Nashville as a provincial New York or Hollywood as one of the places where the culture manufactures its image of itself. Taste Buds, what does Nashville have to say about chasing celebrity? Ryan. Uh, you as a celebrity how do you feel <laughs> okay i remember when i was trying to get to where i'm at right now and 
<laughs> I, I think Nashville almost makes it seem like it is instinctual. Uh, you don't have a ton of choice. Um, and this just happens to be the country music scene, but I don't think it's necessarily celebrity. I think it's more like there is this proverbial ladder that you need to climb um, in any field, no matter what. You know, Altman chose country music, but it could be anything. And part of the reasons why, why Altman is so great is because we see with like an equal amount all of the different rungs of the ladder. You know, like we get the lowest of the low, the highest of the high, and actually all the levels in between, which usually are not talked about. Usually mm-hmm. movies are about the low level or the high level, you know, and we get to see how everyone's at their current place and they will probably do whatever it takes to get to the one above that. And I think also it shows the the way in which, and the, a few 1975 movies hit at this, but like the way that the veneration of celebrities is one side of a coin the other which is like destructive anger and hatred and that they're like put up on a pedestal so that they can be ritualistically torn down and hated and so that's why that you know the the end with uh her being shot uh is like that seems to be the end of the natural end of all the attention that comes with celebrity some sort of destructive impulse at the end of all of that and even before we get to that final destruction, Barbara Jean, they all know her. They love her. It's been hard to get other people to get to the hospital to see their loved ones who are there because she's getting so much adulation. Flowers are always there. Mm-hmm. But then they boo her. They don't want to listen to her. Because she sort of tells a story. <laughs> and a within seconds. Do the story suck for sure. But yeah, it's <laughs> not that long. It's one of the shorter scenes in the movie and they freak out. And then we get the the bottom rung version of it is... The server, who all she wants to do is sing, uh, and the guys start booing her. At first, they're like, oh, she can't sing. That's delightful. And then they start booing her when she's like, well, I'm going to keep singing and not take my clothes off. So you, you get the, the bottom rung version of fuck you, dance, monkey, and the top rung version of it. Which is, mm. like, even though there's a murder in this movie, just it, the single most heartbreaking scene. And it's heartbreaking at one level because you, like, just feel so bad for this woman. And then it's double heartbreaking or exponentially when you realize it has not phased her at all. Like, mm. she still believes that she can sing and that she's going to be a star. And this terrible night did nothing. Well, that, yeah, think about celebrity. It's very interesting to look at her story and then the blonde story, whose name I don't know if we get. We just see her kind of desperately on the margins of everybody else's. She looks... Mm-hmm. The one like who sings rep. at the very end. And then yeah. she sings at the very Albuquerque. end. Is, so that's why it's so interesting. It's like, what is this thing about celebrity? Because... One girl is grinding and cannot make it. And one girl is grinding and looks like worse off. The server looks like she's doing it the right way. And the other one is just trying to hop over fences and be like, but let me sing. And then she's in the right place. She is a little Looney Tunes. So she's like, I'll sing even though somebody just got murdered. And then she ends up being very good at it, surprisingly. And mm-hmm. like winning it, like calming the, the everybody down. And then, of uh, course, going yeah. back to what Kate said in the beginning about the coastal elites and how they react to Nashville or how Nashville reacts to them. The like, I don't know the, the, the thinnest of characters in more than one way. The one that's like really talentless and just uh, so narrow minded and just walks around like a zombie ignores her family. Call me LA Joan. She is the, she is the entire West coast representative in the entire movie. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's just how they see LA is just a bunch of, thin groupies yeah groupie horn dogs um mm-hmm. just walking around smiling like idiots 
And that's only half true. <laughs> only yeah, only uh, only on the good days. <laughs> <laughs> Smiling like idiots, sure. Walking around, never. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a driving town. Yeah. Uh, but that's interesting because you like the people not from Nashville, the the ones who are obviously not. It, it's uh, L. A. Joan. It's the politicians like Bagman. We never see the politicians, so it's his Bagman who's trying to run everything. Who also has and Opal, the British reporter. And I'd say those are three characters that the movie does not have a lot of empathy for. That are kind of cartoonish and aren't like you don't get to see their human sides. They're just like, aren't these folks trash? Well, the Bagman has a joke for everything, and it's such an incredible way of taking this weird place that I do not relate to on the surface <laughs> and making me feel for these characters because I don't want to look like that douchebag. Right. And then Opal yeah. Opal doesn't work for the BBC, right? <laughs> That's just something she made up, yeah, right? Not. She's like, well, I know I'm British, so that'll confuse people. <laughs> well, it is It is a very powerful statement, the, like, the tinniness of all of the characters who are not like from Nashville or who don't believe in mm. Nashville, you know, even if the, if the belief is inherently flawed or the lie or a lie, right? Look, like, even if what they believe in is, is a lie. Um, the characters like, you know, the Bagman Opal and LA Joan, like these are people who are context for the earnestness, even mm. though we can see how superficial, how fake, how, how broken the system is within it. Um, the, there is some, there is this innate humanity saying all these, all these human beings trying in a system that we know is like failing and is being critiqued upon by others in many real ways. And I think that what you were saying again, Ryan earlier about, um, like you see the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows, it made me think about how so much of, um, so much of the American dream is tied with celebrity in the 21st century. Like it is, that's our understanding of what like self-actualizing and money and, and self-determination kind of result in, you know, in and 21st century. The, the other part is can't stop, won't stop. Like it, yeah. it doesn't matter what level you are on. You have to keep moving and make more money and get higher on the ladder. Exactly. And so, you know, when I think about like, oh, the, when I think that about the cacophony of this, of the, you know, oversecting 24, intersecting, overlapping 24 main characters, giant pastiche, like, you know, context of this movie. It, it's, you know, honestly, it's very similar to the internet. It's very 21st century and how relatable. I find it very relatable in that way, where it's like social media in the same way has the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows. Everyone's doing their own thing um, and participating in kind of this broken system. And you have celebrities that are become eaten alive that become Twitter main characters that become Kim Kardashian that are hated or have, you know, there is something um, very, I saw that, I saw that connection very powerfully throughout all of this, especially because they're talking so much about surviving 200 years at the beginning of this movie. And now I'm thinking about our country as it stands today, 50 years later. Well, you know, thinking about all, I mean, does any of this resonate at all to you, Mike? (laughs) <laughs> what <Yes>. I just said. <laughs> it also, sorry, Mike. It also featured the first uh, form of social media, which is throw a microphone on top of a car. That's yes. That's how you that's get your the message. First form of social media, <laughs> and just say fucking platitudes that mean nothing. They're yeah. just hollow. And they like talk about like how prophetic this movie might have been. With so there's the social media. You got your main characters uh, who get built up just to get torn down, and just the the guy who is a faceless voice who will just his a lot of his 
political sayings aren't even connected to what came before. Like it is just like a wall of like, but I'm for you, people. Yeah, who trying to figure out <laughs> trying to figure out his platform is really weird. He seems to be running on replacing the national anthem with a song that more people are familiar with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like Stairway, ma- making it illegal to be a lawyer in the government. <laughs> that one, yeah. Yes. Well, he's not wrong there. Well, okay. Nobody likes lawyers, right? But they like know how laws work. <laughs> like the, you got to have them yes. in part as part of the law making apparatus. <laughs> But but there is, uh, well, trust me, we'll get to politics. <laughs> <laughs> trust you, me. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, Van, as our as our resident Gen Zer, um, do you think what, in the conversations around like celebrity and around uh, specifically like image as mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's a conversation that's put on people who grew up with the with the internet a lot more they're asked to think about it and interact with it a lot. Um, like to, to you, do you see kind of relationship between the way that this movie is painting the intersections of different types of people and different lifestyles as similar to, to the way that like the internet functions now? Oh, um, absolutely. Or do you, you know, is this just like, yeah, an no, I mean with the first of like the first scenes are really just everybody's like congregating together. You're all in the same area. So that's where you've got like people from, totally different backgrounds coming together like on the internet that sort of mm-hmm. uh, comparison there but i i was i i resonated with what you said about uh seeing the parallels between social media and uh like this nashville the film like this insular like drama obsessed image obsessed world um that you'll do anything and ha- yeah it's it's a bubble exactly it's a bubble it was a bubble of musicians and stars and celebrities in nashville and it's a bubble of whatever community you end up in on the internet mm-hmm. so absolutely mm-hmm. there's parallels there and like somebody yeah. like haven hamilton i don't think is a national star he, he feels sort, sort of like the mayor he feels of nashville local. He but yeah, he still like feels like statewide. the highest local. Exactly, yeah. And so he he doesn't want to leave Nashville because then he would be competing with people who are probably much more talented, uh, probably put less passion in their bullshit America songs. But uh, <laughs> like, I do think that he would be just overwhelmed with talent and looks if he leaves Nashville. So he doesn't, and he just sort of runs the town. And that's, mm-hmm. that's how the internet works, right? Like, find your people. Oh, yeah. Never leave your people. Yeah, because you'll get validation from your people. As soon as you leave, as soon as he goes to L.A. where the people are wacky, you know, as soon as he joins L.A. Joan out wherever she lives, like, (laughs) yeah, he would would fall. He wouldn't be, you know, everyone's favorite guy anymore. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's take a quick break. Oh, so would would you like to... Sorry, Kate, can we stretch out a little bit? Because I did want to talk about Altman and women. Um, Oh, yeah, of course. I, like, as, as... thin again not the pun but like as thin as like a lot of these characters are i i want to talk about these women as opposed to some of the other women we've seen in 75 films and a lot of it is their relation to the man that they're with but i think one of the major things that altman is doing is saying is showing that like country music is content we just got to create content right that's the same as it is today Mm -hmm. but also there's no difference between country music and women to these men you know, that like all of them are sort of created and handled in this way where like you are you are the product. And that is this that's one of the messages of the movie is that goes for Sue Ann Lynn or the, the lady who had to strip and for mm-hmm. uh, Barbara Jean all the way at the top, you know, and mm-hmm. you watch the way that the men treat all of these women. And that's it. No matter what. It's just that content. You are you what are is, my content. What does Barnett say? I don't like 
don't tell me how to run your life. Yeah. Like he's <laughs> arguing there is don't tell me how to run your life. And that, it's like, and it, the, the, I think the movie is like, um, without underlining it, a very, it seemed to me like definitely highlighting the sort of woman question that we've seen in 1975, which is woman? This suddenly like, yeah, suddenly like paranoia, like, oh no, what if they're people? Oh God, what have we done? That would make everything we've done so awful, wouldn't it? Um, and so like the, the, it's still not expertly done in most of these movies, although this is, I think, one of the better ones. But, you know, just showing all the different ways in which these women have their lives destroyed and controlled by not even very cool men, like mm-hmm. really unimpressive. They're kind of ugly. The cast yeah. is kind of <laughs> ugly. <laughs> Barbara Jean's husband is a slob. I think it was Pauline Kale, I think, who it's either her or Ebert, uh, who said something like, um, there's like this dramatic irony going on with the movie because the audience who would watch Nashville is just like taken over by feminism at this point. Mm-hmm. But the characters in the movie have never heard of it. And to watch those two things go on as the audience watching from that lens, that makes it so much more interesting. Like there's there is a culture, there is a time where these guys are like, Yeah. That's how husbands work, but not the audience for this movie at that time. You know, they were all mm-hmm. doing something different. I, and I think, you know, this this really ties because I felt very strongly about this um, relationship or this 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 parallel to the way that social media functions. And you know what that is? I think that's Altman being incredibly good at understanding human dynamics and understanding the way that large masses of people intersect with one another and have their individual stories that are influencing each other, but are fundamentally a part of this very large, very stressful tapestry. And I think that that's what makes it such a clean, easy parallel. And so when I think about the way that women are portrayed in this movie, I think the comments that are being made, the criticism that is being, you know, kind of, had i suppose around around these female characters is very applicable to the to the way that women are interacted with on social media on a very very basic level um you know it does not surprise me that like the major star that barbara jean is a woman is an image is something that is meant to be built up to be torn down like greg had said before um you know i like to me there is something inherently uh sexist about any insular culture trying to commodify identity it's it's like inherently there which is what makes the internet so like tr- like literally built on the backs of trolls um so you know I, I i i see exactly what you mean where it's like there is a subtlety to um to to figuring out how female representation in this movie is being like rejected and manipulated and resented in a way that I think is very similar to to the other conversations we've been having around, you know, about, around the storylines and the way that they played out in this movie. This movie having the biggest yeah. oh. go van. Yeah, sorry. This movie really sort of blew me away in terms of what they showed of like the of a normal family dynamic. I guess you would call that normal. Um, I, cause I, don't, I, don't, I don't see that portrayed a lot, and I definitely haven't seen as many older films that would de- depict like the actual way of life there. But yeah, the husband and wife dynamic really um, just bad vibes. Bad vibes. Ned uh, Beatty <laughs> rolling his eyes at his deaf children telling a story. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's a 1975 oh God, husband yeah. right there. <laughs> but that, that, that's that that whole thread and Lily Tomlin's character, Lene Reese, uh, is so interesting because she is, she has, she seems to have more agency because her husband isn't her manager. She's pushing back against it. She's the one who's, uh, yeah, 
into infidelity and getting in. She's like, but she's also like, she's hobby. Hobby. into infidelity. Meet, yeah. How we meet her and maybe 75 is different than 2021. Uh, how we meet her. It's like, okay, so she, she's not doing the sex angle uh, that the other women are doing or are forced to do. But she is certainly appropriating gospel music, being the one white woman who's at the front of a black choir. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, and, and so it's, With her it's really complex voice. how I feel about this character. I, I went back and forth on her yeah. more than any of the other ones. And the last yeah. we see of her, she's being dragged off stage by her husband, who keeps saying, "I just need you right now. I just yeah. need you right now." So yeah. like, mm-hmm. well, like she's going to be part of the singing for everybody and with everybody. He is just like dragging her away and being like, "But I need you. But I need you." Right. And it feels and so very that's specifically like kind of, not to protect her. Like no, it's yeah, to protect no, I him. need you. Yeah, it's not like let me protect you. It's I need you. I need you. It's like he's dragging her away. Bummer. These are great <laughs> points. We did a great job talking about this. Are we Nailed ready it. to go to a quick break? <laughs> Is it okay with you, Ryan? If we yeah. take a break, yeah, I'm Ryan, sorry. Okay I like talking go? about women. I, I guess yeah. that's not. I know bad. you're like my favorite things: Altman Gosh. and ladies. <laughs> 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 yes, of course. When we come back. We're going to dive into politics. Well, that is very, very funny or very sad. And perhaps now you have something to think about or very problematic. And perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at your pop filter email contacts at your pop filter hey everybody keep watching them movies populism the replacement party a faceless straw man lamenting america's loss of of identity this one really hits different in 2021 taste buds how do you think the politics of nashville and the era of 1975 affect this piece and how do you think it affects the way you view it today Let's start with you, Ryan. You're the oldest guy here, right? <laughs> yep, by a lot, too. <laughs> Thanks, Kate. Yeah. Um, uh, there's one part where the guy says, like, oh, you want a rock and roller? Because I'm a, I'm a mean rock and roller. You want a rock and roller on your stage? And the dude is like Peter from Peter, Paul, and Mary. Yeah. Like, you're, not, <laughs> yeah. you're not a hardcore rocker, bro. But he's, uh, he's like, he's oh, punk. I'm not into politics. And that's, that seems so crazy to me. Like, to have somebody who mm-hmm. just has no opinion... To watch this movie in 2021 and see that person, like, that is insane. Um, this... Oh, well, that is, is a conservative. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, but, yeah, I think that part of what Altman was doing is showing that, like, I don't... I think that, you know, like Greg was saying, that all 75 movies are sort of about, like, the, the failure of authority or us realizing that authority is uh, not just not flawless, but very flawed. <laughs> like and, the worst of us? Yeah, and us coming to terms with that. <laughs> and I think... Part of what Nashville is doing is while we're presenting life, we're showing all of these characters, every type of character, you know, like with every type of face, um, showing <laughs> this like middle, like should there be a middle thing? Should all of the other stuff go away? And the good and bad that comes with that, you know, like Democrats are terrible. Republicans are terrible. Here's what the middle could be. And it's terrible. It's it's all terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good points. Good points. Mike. No, Greg, you're the second oldest. <laughs> oh, I, I think that, you know, what the movie shows over time is that ultimately this is an empty populism. And mm-hmm. it's because the people themselves mm-hmm. have, like, sort of rejected politics. And I think it. Are you saying, Greg, that, that you... Christmas doesn't smell like oranges? 
I, Christmas doesn't smell like, well, like those questions are perfect, right? Because you've heard this guy's banter all throughout the movie. And it's like starting to, to re, you're starting to realize it's not forming a coherent picture of who this guy is. And then these questions are like Dada-esque, you know, like, have you ever yes. reflected upon an acorn rolling down a hill? What the fuck? That started a political <laughs> movement, but it's because it's, it is intentionally devoid of meaning because 75 is a time that i think a lot is was similar to what a lot of us were looking for in 2021 which is like wouldn't it be cool if we could just get this odious politics out of the way get uh you know get vietnam out of the way get watergate out of the way get past it and then not think about politics so much and so that's why you have a a rock and roller who's like i don't care about politics i don't want to think about it at all because people are tired of engaging and then the actual politicians are not really saying anything what they're saying is devoid of substance and this instead is meant to like sort of just coddle us and almost like be saporific or soporific you know like almost just make us fall asleep mm-hmm. while we listen to their political hmm. nonsense mm-hmm. that's also why you have the youth movement going right for this guy in the movie you know like he already has the kids because that acorn shit Oh, I'll listen to you. Like that, that was crazy. Hit, that shit slaps. <laughs> Mike, yeah, what about it, you? it's a lot of like I've never heard somebody be so real, man. But then it's 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 just <laughs> fluffy nonsense bullshit. I, I think it's very interesting that so his we never see him, which is obviously like so you you even if you see a politician, you don't know who they actually are, right? I'm assuming that's what that mm-hmm. means that we never see this guy and he just says his nonsense all the time. His bagman, his bagman has no respect <laughs> for the musicians he's trying to use they are basically a a devil figure yeah Yeah. they're just a tool for him to use and at the same time they say that like like, so tom from peter paul and mary uh says he doesn't (laughs) care about politics most of them say they don't like uh barbara jean's husband freaks out because the poster the the politician's name is behind her and he's Uh like we said none of that we don't want to endorse it but you're at a because republicans buy shoes too Right, right, exactly. That's why. It's because they don't want to piss anybody off. It's not because he's against this guy's policies, especially because uh, you're at an all-day event for this guy anyway. So you are endorsing silently because you're mm-hmm. the headliner of entertainment. But you're like, but the poster will let the people know she actually But the it. image has to be something different. Yeah, image has to be completely apolitical. Right. And if you have politics, you have to be imageless. Yes. That's kind of... You know what? And then when she problem. gets shot, the politician, like, he peels out he's, oh, he's yeah. parked on grass but he like peels out like he's i am out of here it becomes like a benny hill skit like yeah. how fast they leave the whole park <laughs> but speaking to what both greg and mike said um the the way that the bag man says like you're not ha- gonna have to deliver a message like that's not gonna be part of it that's i it, it never clicked with me before but that's him also describing his politician yeah right you know like oh we don't have a message so there's nothing that you would be supporting and then, you know, there's a character that we see all the time but don't hear from, which is Jeff Goldblum, right? So he's, like, mm-hmm, sort of the opposite mm-hmm. of that. And he Are they the same? This, well, it seems, <laughs> you never see him in the same Damn. place twice. But, he's you know, so he seems to be cuteness. completely just a, an, an image, right? His very arresting face. But, like, there's a, there's a couple times where Jeff Goldblum clearly says something and they drop the audio out so that you yeah. can't, like, he never utters a sound. Mm. Um, and so he makes this weird, like, composite character well, with the voice who is no image at all. In my head, he's a Mr. Mixel Splitlick type character who's yeah. always there controlling things and is just like an imp. God or, or American yeah. spirit, maybe. Honestly, man, like based yeah. on the last five years of his branding, he is a Jeff Goldblum character. That is how <laughs> Jeff Goldblum travels yeah. the country. Yeah. But how do you not have that, that voice? Also, it was so, how do you not let so him say stuff in a movie? His voice the, is like perfect. 
He's got such a it's good It's enough voice. for him to just be there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, he does stand out. And, and it, it, yeah, a very powerful image having him be the one person who could, like, drive away from the crash uh-huh. at the very beginning in his motorcycle. You know, like, being able to leave that entire conversation. It's, there is a very, very powerful. That's, how, that's how a great point because the Go traffic around. jam is magnetic. Like, it uh, mm-hmm. traffic or like crashes are in real life where cars just keep crashing into it because they're like drawn to it. You know, they can't stop crashing into it. And to be able to go away from the thing that is magnetizing everyone else or attracting everything else, that's a pretty powerful power to have. I was just going to say about Absolutely. Jeff Goldblum, it, like also it's so meta that they refer to Easy Rider because he's clearly <laughs> yeah. supposed to be that like that spirit of that movie which didn't just change America but it like changed specifically cinema in a very big way. It, still in 75 mm-hmm. that's the drug all directors were chasing. Yeah. Is Easy Rider. <laughs> Van as the youngest. Yes. It's your turn to speak now. All right. Uh, so I think what spoke to, I guess, would be me and my generation the most is sort of the truck just screaming things out and there's no face and there's no people like running that truck. Because I feel like that's honestly what politics feels like a bit, especially until like, because I'm like freshly 21, um, but I wasn't able to vote, you know, for the last, you know, until three years ago. So it just kind of felt like for a long time, I'm just sitting there watching everybody scream and I have no ability. Like there's... The, the words mean nothing, and I can't do anything, and there's no person I can reach to get involved in something. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and so that's just kind of, it was really the truck that, like, stood out to me. And I was just like, it's just mm-hmm. screaming at you to pick, the, pick his side. And even though you never get to see the politician, and you never get to hear from the politician, which has been said already. But, and, um, yeah. And we're never like, I, am, I don't care. Like, you see the truck, the, the proverbial truck with the proverbial screams, and you have to be like, I love that or I hate that. And it feels like yes, we, just, yeah. we can't ever be just like, that's stupid, and I have no opinion, and I'm going to move on with my life. By the nature Oh, and that goes of, in with the social nature. media thing as well. Everyone on social media, you're expected to have an opinion, and you're expected to like, and choose backlash, a side. And, and then the backlash, all- the backlash, the backlash, yes. the backlash, the backlash. It's just mm-hmm. a circle. It's a cycle. It's the cycle yeah. of backlash. I think that it's a very, very powerful opening scene i think that this movie might have one of the my favorite opening scenes of all time if i'm thinking about it if we have like it on some level like we have this truck with these giant blaring horns this faceless you know like like pseudo populism empty jargon like it's very dystopian the way that it's like speaking about how we need to change and bring things back especially as you move on and like you said greg it gets the the phrases become even more divorced from the reality that they're asserting and even more Dadaist, like it becomes crazier. But like the first zoom out or pan back from the car that is, you know, has all these platitudes going around, it uh, is a giant red billboard called This is the Bank or The Bank. Um, a very, very like obvious, like, okay, so we're within a capitalist society. <laughs> People are feeling unheard. We're in like whatever, right? And then we go straight to this group of corny ass white people (laughs) singing, we must have done something right to be here for 200 years. And then we follow the Brit who's like, oh, I love this. I love this. This is so American and how, and how very kitschy and raw all of you are, you know, and and then going to from there to 
the room with the black gospel choir fronted by a very like weak and reedy yeah. voice like, a I think lily it's white woman like a, yeah a lily white woman and it's like and so we have this immediate like sense of appropriation that's right there you have the power of the music that is like visceral and and incredibly obvious being constantly interspliced like back mm-hmm. and forth cuts with the the haven hamilton character you have the uh, you and have the you culture have the, clash and you have opal being like you have opal being like oh they i can see them yeah. the way that they once were like in this horrific fetishistic colonialist way and it's like this is a picture of like a lot that's done in within the first five minutes. And I think it's a really, really powerful statement about like where America was in 1975 as it was trying to sell its own image to itself. I think the generation clash uh, Altman sort of wears on his sleeve more than like the gender clash or the politics clash. Uh, and the gender yeah. clash is in that same scene, Kate, where um, Haven is in his booth and he's like, who is that man? And like Slash from Guns N' Roses is at the piano, yes, like clearly yes, yes. a long-haired hippie. And he's like, Mezer Frog. He's like, get get rid of Frog. I want Pig. First of all, yeah. Nashville. Yes. How are we nicknaming our our musicians here? <laughs> but uh, and like Frog is over it from the start. Like Frog is yeah. Yeah. you know messing up on piano, but like Frog doesn't give a shit about Haven Hamilton, and yeah. that makes Haven Hamilton even more mad. And then boom, we have the Generation War throughout all of Nashville. Exactly. There's a generation war. There is a gender war. There is a racial war. Like throughout this entire movie is alchemized by like the fundamental dichotomies that are at the root and at the structure of this country. And I think that Altman doesn't shy away from it. What he's able to do is put it literally in conversation with 14 other conversations being had in the same room at the same time. Um, And I think that that's what makes it feel so internet-like to me now, watching it in 2021. It's like, well, look at all of these truths dissecting very powerful instabilities like built into our nation um, and how they all kind of are talking to each other and yet are all in their own universes. And and uh, Very overwhelming. By jumping from one to the other to the other, you can never feel that passion about any of them. You get distracted, like mm-hmm. I, you're like, oh, the minute I'm going to be mad at a cultural appropriation. Oh no, now I'm mad at this generational warfare. And I think a huge one is so Mr. Green, Mrs. Green dies, and Mrs. Green is another faceless character we never see. And Wait, the death was she Jeff Goldblum? She might have been Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> uh, and she, so she dies, and the death doesn't fit. So even death doesn't matter if you're if you're always paying attention to literally everything. Nothing will ever hit you. In a way, and the movie does that yeah. in a really interesting juggling way. Where yeah, and then the, the the most emotion it is is Mr. Green leaving his, his wife's funeral because he's just pissed at. I think her real name is Martha at L.A. Jones. Yeah. He's like, I don't care. I'm going to yeah, go find she, her. She needs to be here. Like, and that's the most emotion in the whole movie is that moment right there. Well, I think that Van picked up on it immediately. Like he is somehow, and I don't know if it's the power of his performance. Mm. In combination I would say so. Honestly, line. I thought he was a phenomenal. Yeah. Like he was he phenomenal was at phenomenal. acting, getting just really emotional, really fast, yeah. and it worked. But he's also one of the few the characters who isn't directly the... controlled by his ego. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's exactly. where you, that's his, why he hits you. Hard. That's probably what it is because when you see him, he's introduced at the at the bar or at the at the restaurant where you know Sulu Allen or whatever her name is 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 working, singing to Jeff Goldblum and. Um, Jeff Goldblum doing his magic tricks and but the, but it stood out as like a distinctly like McCabe and Mrs. Miller style which of course that's just Altman-esque right like 
level uh it's so altman to me the the way this incredibly realistic and sad and understated conversation was being had with a very real human being it felt like in the middle of like all of this overlaid conversation in the sound mixing. almost like altman got it by to constantly be a touchstone Yes. Yeah. It's like almost like they got it by act. It was so naturalistic. It like stood out and like, oh, this is someone I can I, 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 I clock I can cling to in the middle of this madness. And it has something to do with his humanity and something to do with his sadness and his lack of ego in the root at root like rooted at the at the center of that sadness like that he is a person feeling something for someone else and that might be the only character in that story in nashville in the city of nashville wow that guy stands out for sure (laughs) (laughs) okay let's take a quick break and when we're back awards it's time for awards okay guys let's start with this is going to be an interesting one actually this nashville's nashville's cringiest moment van do you have one in mind yeah i do the first rendition of let me be the one by suleen gay uh that was just bad i guess she's supposed to be a bad actor a bad singer like that's her whole shtick right (laughs) it was they just stayed on her for so long and her jerky like hand movements and everything yeah oh this one has hand movements was one of her Mm -hmm. things But yeah, that was one. My when she moment. put her one forward when she was practicing it in the mirror while stopping oh, her bra. Oh yeah, brutal. That brutal. Too. Anything that has to do with her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she was a cringe. She was a giant cringe. That her whole story was, and I think that that plays into what Ryan was saying earlier, where it's like kind of the hardest part is that she doesn't, that she isn't defeated in the end. That like she is gonna keep doing all of this and keep being in these cringy like circumstances. And just keep being degraded to like yeah. that's yeah oh that's my rough. God. And her Fruitless only buddy, her only truth teller, is like, "I'm moving to Detroit. Fuck this. I can't. I can't <laughs> talk to you anymore." <laughs> Ryan, what about you? What's your cringiest moment? My cringiest moment. This is a, I would say, spectacularly uncringy movie for the time. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and that just like speaks to Altman's camera charm. Uh, so I'm going to go against Altman, and I'm going to say that the way that car crash was shot. Uh, <laughs> on the freeway was so 75 in the wrong way. I feel like every movie in, sem- in the 70s had this thing where like, it's got to be a little cannonball run, right? It's got to be a little <laughs> like, let's have a big pile up. And it just became, the movie, one of the most realistic, touching yeah. movies I've ever seen in my life became a cartoon for 30 seconds. And <laughs> it's a wacky right race back. for a little yeah, bit. Yeah. It, it is. So weird. It is. <laughs> the way they that all pull true. out of their parking spots and drive around each other, they all oh, have yeah. like themed They're vehicles. Like, they all make the arm motion at each other. Yeah. yeah. Each yeah. vehicle says something about its occupants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a I surreal it, moment. Yeah, it's definitely, that's, the, that's what I'm saying is that his realism slips into surrealism very fast. He reminds me a lot of Miranda July. That's actually in that moment. That's a separate thought entirely. But a person who's so good at picking up on the way that people interact with each other that it becomes surreal. Like when the Opal character was talking to the uh, Lily Tomlinson and was like, oh, I cannot hear about your deaf children. That is so sad. That's <laughs> yeah. like, honestly the most depressed. I could not possibly during that scene. It made me laugh so hard. <laughs> and it was like, that's so real. It's surreal. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My cringiest moment. This one's hard because I think the movie wanted me to cringe, but I did so hard that I can't not. It is when the, when Suleen tries to walk off because she doesn't want to strip, gets talked back into it. And so she, 
I think it's supposed to be like she's she's defiantly doing it, but she looks so miserable. And the guys are like, "No, we can talk ourselves to being into this, right?" I know she looks like yeah. she's on the verge of tears, but right, guys, this is still hot. And I I wanted to barf everywhere. Yeah, everyone's cheering, and her face is just gaunt. It's like this dead oh, stare. Horrific. See, Mike. Damn, is, women I think can what's be hot. Really messed up is I think that that's not something they're ignoring so much as something that they're like actively celebrating. No, yeah, it's uh, a part yeah. of it. That yeah. is, yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, God. Dudes aren't cool always. Men suck. Yeah. <laughs> Great, not not always cool, but usually pretty cool. Dudes. <laughs> Lord, um, grant me the confidence of a mediocre country singer. It's very, <laughs> it, it is very tough to know uh, if you're cringing just because you're supposed to be or if you're cringing of your own accord. But I'm going to go with uh, what Opal says about looking at the... the um, choir and being like oh i can see the you know their african roots and that i feel like that had a way of taking racism and putting it outside of the american experience and putting it into the mouth of uh an english person and i thought that there was like sort of an un that 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 was kind of like an unfair move when race is talked about it is often kind of sidestepped in in this way in this movie it's either uh like black characters screaming like hey you know you're you're not black enough or it's you know opal saying one of many different like uh, offensive things about race and Mm -hmm. i just like uh, to tell this story and then to engage with those topics but kind of do it like on the like a little bit on the sly i just didn't to really like that i didn't think it was yeah, appropriate to, i i completely would see what you're saying because i do think that it's interesting drawing the parallel of like colonialism especially because she was talking about missionaries and stuff yeah. at the very beginning and there like, is something like very specifically english about a lot of what goes on in the south like there is kind of that yes. old, old connection between the aristocracies of of the south and the aristocracy of, of england and mark twain talks about that but mm-hmm. like it, it, this is was using that I think as a cop out as a way yeah, to yeah it was like, using yeah, a way of being of like look at out of it. commenting on it but doing it in a way where it's not an American problem right um, felt conspicuous so yeah. I see exact so actually I'm gonna go ahead and give Greg that cringe I know that there's no points but uh, here you are here you are. here you sit with three Greg riddle me this uh, next award director signature uh, Mike what do you think. I, I, it does it throughout, so I want to pinpoint on one, but I think it is, uh, if we're not talking about anything that's Altman-esque, which is just everybody talking over each other, it's the scene switch, uh, I think, is so well done. That and was by confusing the, sometimes. And yeah. where we're like, <laughs> we're, we're following uh, Barbara Jean's husband through the hospital, we're following, we're like, okay. We know I'm where grounded. we are. <laughs> I'm following him West Wing style, and then uh, Shelly Duvall is just in the corner. And then you're like, camera, where are you going? No, camera, the scene's over here. And then we follow her in walking the other way. And I was like, God damn it. But like that, that like, there's so many characters just bouncing into each other that the camera can just always feel like it's moving to to move. And we're now in a whole new scene. I like it. Thanks, Brian. Um, yeah, I mean, there is the big obvious one. Um, just the overlapping dialogue is just such a thing. But I want to pick something different. Mike, good one. I, I tried to say that genuinely, and it, it didn't come yeah, out of it. it was the uh, worst yet. <laughs> but I'm going to keep trying, Greg. I'm going to keep trying to not sound sarcastic. I, Robert Altman was like, I, I just I made MASH. I made The Long Goodbye. Now I'm making this, thing, this country music movie, and I don't have a place for Elliot Gould. Oh, I'm just going to put Elliot Gould as Elliot Gould in Nashville. That's no some complaints. Altman-ass shit. That's some, oh, I Elliot know Gould that, with the yeah. curly hair? Yeah. No notes. I, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna make a movie in 1975 and not have Elliot Gould. 
No. That's Robert Altman. I want Lily Tomlinson to, to hit me with her car in this movie, and then I want Ellie Gould to come over and kick my corpse. <laughs> <laughs> Kinky. <laughs> too much? Greg. Too much. <laughs> yeah, Greg, let's uh, kind of wash down what you just said with your opinion on director signature. Okay, so uh, I'm very familiar with the works of Robert Altman, and so I know that two things he likes right. to do are shoot wide, and then also do these really uh, very long, involved either zoom ins or zoom out. So I'm going to go with the the very last shot, uh, which like frames the Parthenon and then pulls out more and more and more. And you see that they seriously got like two thousand people to show up for the the filming of this to just be extras. And you basically see arrayed in front of you every single character that's been in the movie. And if this movie has felt larger than life it pales in this moment where you were seeing like this whole music event and all of the characters and all of this has framed like this crazy action that you just saw. And the camera just keeps pulling out and keeps pulling out and keeps pulling out. And it, it feels like we are really leaving this story sort of behind and we're seeing it scale, which is rendered suddenly very small, like from very large to very small. And I looked at that and I just thought that's Altman-esque baby. It's a lot like 1975's <laughs> hit film Shivers. But yes. like everybody shows up at the end and there's this big pull up. But Cronenberg pulled out a little <laughs> too far. And you can see that there's actually only 16 people there. Altman actually <laughs> yeah. got the people there. Van, what about you? Cringiest moment. Oh, no. Cringiest moment. Now we're on director's signature. Now we're so, on director's signature. <laughs> I would have to say, because I, I'm not, you know, totally well versed in Altman, uh, but he's known for the ensemble shot. So I was just thinking about like one of the first like club scenes they're watching. Um, you know, honestly, I think it was the bad lady, Celine Gay, uh, sing, and it's just back and forths between different conversations and might not be Celine. I might be thinking of a different scene, but just sort of the back and forth where we catch snippet snapshots and like snippets of conversations and then coming back to whatever the main action is and moving onwards. I thought that was very reminiscent of his style. I think what you're talking about, there's actually two shows going on at the same time. That he yeah, which is part of one of the confusing parts. Yeah. yeah so okay. Then probably that. Celine no, is singing I do, yeah. and then a different singer is singing, but we're and not sure what bar we're in when he keeps cutting yeah. back and forth. And there's yeah. so many people in each location that, like, you really lose track of where you are and who's talking. Then I absolutely got lost, and that was probably, again, very Altman-esque, so. <laughs> yes, exactly. Point stands. Point de van. Uh, and our final award. Pound for pound performance. Uh, Greg, who do you think really knocked it out of the park this time? All right. I want to give it to this weaselly little terrible who is the guy that ba- we keep calling him the bag man it's john triplett okay uh, michael murphy is john triplett who is all you like here is these pie in the sky ideas of this politician um his speech sort of like serving as like a weird soundtrack to the movie like the the ambient music isn't kind of the soundtrack it's almost like his speeches form the soundtrack but then when you see Hmm. his man in action he's so unctuous and evil and like gross and always tearing everybody down and always acting like he's better than everyone and i really thought that michael murphy did a really good job like displaying what a terrible sort of like lucifer come to nashville this guy really is (laughs) i mean one of the parts we didn't talk about in the hotel scene when the rock star said that he can't you know, do this because he's registered Democrat and Michael Murphy's like, I'm registered Democrat. I'm a registered and they just Democrat. evil laughs. Like, nothing <laughs> means matter. anything, bro. <laughs> I wish I had that 
worldview. <laughs> life seems simpler. I know. Yeah, life would no, be I, awesome. I, I've said that all the time. Yeah, I was like, God, I wish I had my older sister politics. She seems so unconflicted. <laughs> and honestly, on a certain point, has integrity that I don't. <laughs> but see, the, it, she it's lives that, in it's accordance that lack with of her conflict. horrible values. <laughs> it's that lack of conflicted thought that that makes people want that worldview. Like yeah. they 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 decide to look at the world as a brutal place and that it's right to be brutal in it, and so then you know it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. Greg, thank you. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about this off air. <laughs> <laughs> do you need, do you need me to talk to your sister, Kate? <laughs> no. Well, she just gave birth, so we're gonna give her. We'll give her a few weeks. Give her the uh, afternoon. Exactly. <laughs> Van, what about you? Pan for pan performance. Oh man, I gotta give it to Keenan Wynn as Mr. Green, the uncle of the dying wife. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. yeah, by far, I think he was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Van, like Agreed. Scott Glenn, the private. Was trying to like he was very excited to tell his new friend the story about Barbara Jean, oh, and not yeah. knowing that, that was Mr. So Green was just standing there, going through every emotion that he hadn't gone through that he had tried to not go through over his entire life. Oh, he looked like he was about to kill that kid. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness wives can't really die. <laughs> <laughs> right? Okay. What, what a nightmare that would be. <laughs> hey, Kay, I'm gonna need your sister to talk to Greg. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, pound uh, for pound. I agree with Van. I think Keenan yeah. Wynn, what, what he does throughout the the low level frustration he has, but also like love. He's like, oh, my niece came because my wife's dying. That's so good. But like, he's always like, I'm an old person trying to talk to a young person who looks the way you do, Shelley Duvall. Like, and he, he just captures very real. Like, he just no matter what his emotion is, it's just simmering underneath so much. He's an old dude who probably fought in World War II kind of world outlook of you don't show anything, but it's always just boiling under there. The is it quiet so much so, rage. Is it so much so that he wouldn't notice that he's like fostering an assassin? Doesn't that go against him? <laughs> yeah, and dragging him like if he had just stayed through the end of his own wife's funeral, yeah. maybe she wouldn't yeah. have got like that's so crazy. He dragged that weird Stephen King looking assassin to the concert. <laughs> you gotta feel partially responsible, bro. And Van, yeah. where are you at? Come hit this Stephen King looking guy. There should have been some vans around to knock that guy off the street. Uh, yeah, not not Van Van here, not not our Van. No, Van. Van. That's 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 van. Uh, Ryan, pound for pound. I gotta give it up to the head of the Illinois Nazis himself, uh, Henry Gibson. Um, this <laughs> is such a like terrible, not thankless part, but like he would he. Not only is his character built to hate, but his face is. You know, like he just <laughs> yeah. has that tiny, short, stupid face. And I think he does such a good job of, I think it's impossible on the page how this character was written to have any, like, feelings towards this character. And the fact that sometimes we feel, if not, like, sad for him, we can at least relate to how he feels sometimes. Um, yeah. I, I think that it's an actual incredible performance. And I, for me, every time somebody says Nashville, he's the face I go back to. Even though there's 24 mm. characters, he's always been the one that, like, stands out the most. That's... A good point. Um, my instinct is to say that Van and Mike are right because of how clearly yes. and distinctly <laughs> Mr. Green stood out, like we talked about, in terms of his humanity. But in terms of, like, when I think of the image of the film and the person that's meant to represent kind of the themes throughout it, I, I, I do think that Henry Gibson's a great choice. God so, no winners. Ah, winner. It's the perfect movie. It's the me. perfect movie for that. I, think. <laughs> I know. Look, hey, there are, there were twenty four answers. 
two of them count as right. Hey, you know, it is what it is. And I think the correct answer is the actual, the 25th answer, that smoking hot microphone on the poster. Oh, I thought you were going to say Nashville Oh, I thought you were going to say Nashville herself. Yeah, like, (laughs) Mike, was that you who said that? That was very silly. Yeah, yeah. And with that, (laughs) let's take a quick break. And when we're back, we're going to have our closing remarks. Nashville. 1975, Robert Altman. We've discussed all there is to discuss and nothing more. I only have one question left. Taste buds, this isn't on the bracket, but if it was, how would you feel about it? You know what's Greg, right? let's go to you. Oh, sorry, Greg. <laughs> let's, let's go to me, Ryan. Let's try to do that. That's what the host wants to do. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I think this was kind of a big mess up on our part. Uh, this feels like one of the best movies we've ever covered outside the show. And it's going to feel, I worry that it's going to feel a little hollow to, to not have this be in the bracket. We can only do what we can do and there's no way we can undo it. But I think this would have had a legitimate shot to take it all down. Hmm. Well, yeah. the, bra- Brian, the bracket had so jaws. So let's not say that it's just all ruined, but I, I I would like to blame Letterboxd because we yeah. do do everything based on Letterboxd and the seating for Nashville was so like shockingly low. I could not believe how low it was. And then there's just this thing where when a movie has that low of seating, other movies, you know, it'll have to fight against other movies and it just it found its way out at some point and that sucks because it's it's one of the eight most important movies of 1975. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Easy. Mike, how are you feeling? Uh, I agree. I think it would have had as good of a shot as if a young Stephen King was in the front row of a concert <laughs> aiming at a singer. That's how good of a shot this movie would have had to take down <laughs> the rest of them. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I love this movie. I, I can't think of a movie that more begs to be rewatched again and again and again. Yeah. yeah. That Agreed. in 75, and I don't think we're going to get that. Yeah. Ben, how are you feeling? Oh. <laughs> Oh, everybody forgot that uh, uh, Kay asks a name, and then that it's always Greg and Ryan. But, actu- but actually, it's Ryan. Ryan. Yeah, Van actually, Ryan, Ryan has good. something to say <laughs> before anything else. So, uh, Van, actually, hold your tongue and know your place. Okay. Ryan. All right. What no, no, no. is Fine. your opinion? Uh, I, yeah, like, I, I guess this is not how friendly conversation works. <laughs> and also, Kate made that decision to say Greg and Ryan, Mike and Ryan, Van and Ryan, so she could have a good show for once. Like, that's, that's why she made that decision. For once in my life. <laughs> anyway, Ben, um, can't wait to hear from you. Oh, yeah. All right. So my thoughts are I would probably side with you guys if I watch this again. Uh, but that's that. I remain that's... bored. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that rule. That was very cool. <laughs> uh, Ryan, you got anything to say that wasn't? cool that that's like as cool as that though yeah uh, ryan i forgot it all because yeah. i was so upset and insulted yeah 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 that sounds <laughs> I right see that on his face, I loved it. um again these are secrets we keep only to <laughs> i'm the assassin don't go to my little violin case <laughs> the whole point of every podcast is uh between me and mike who can make uh the other one look like a drunk irish cop first and <laughs> that's he a did it to me. stiff competition Stiff as those drinks y'all had at the cop bar last night. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Greg. Hey, I'm here, I'm here for you, Kate. <laughs> uh, there is good news, Kate. My man, uh, Greg. 
it cannot win movie of the year, but uh, it's still eligible for Moody's, and this can just sweep every goddamn Moody that there is at the end of the season. You think so? What does that mean? Uh, all the awards that we give out, Nashville biggest can still head. win. Biggest head. Musical I think, yeah. think yeah. Oprah well, is going to win asking, Biggest like, Shithead with like, like a bullet. Yeah, oh, I yeah. know about the racial issues in the South. I, She's this I season's Terry, South. okay? <laughs> Greg, the, yes, reason, the yes. reason you think that is because you're a driver, and I don't really choose to talk to you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't gossip with servants. I don't gossip with servants. Ah, <laughs> uh, Tinder profile. That's coming <laughs> to you soon. That is a good Tinder profile. Um, okay, so before we leave... Does anyone have any last comments on this film? I feel like we're, other than Van, who is still bored, the rest <laughs> of us are old white people who are like, yeah, no, this? Yeah, this is cinema. They don't make them like this anymore, Kate. <laughs> this comes from a time where a man could make a movie. Not anymore. <laughs> um, Ryan, it looks like you maybe have one last thing to say before I ask for everyone's plugs. Well, I was just going to say I agree with Greg, but that's not something you actually need to say. So I was just going to yeah. be quiet. I agree with Ryan, but he yeah. agrees with Greg. <laughs> okay, let's let's get some plugs in. Van, are you doing anything lately? Um, just posted on <laughs> Instagram or planning to, s.v.mb, if you want to follow me on there. Otherwise, uh, not much. Hell yeah. Same. Same, 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 same. <laughs> My Instagram is also <laughs> L dot, whatever yours was. Um, <laughs> what about you guys? Pop filter. Anything up? For you guys? We're good. Yeah. Actually, plugs was stupid. I don't have anything to play. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I guess we're all just friends chilling. Continue, we'll continue to chill and uh, and are pretty stoked for the next time we're all stoked. together to talk about another 1975 film that didn't make the bracket. Can I get a hell yeah? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Okay, bye-bye. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>